Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Take to Take, episode 56. My name is Luke Burrows. I'll be your host today, joined by the full crew of Patrick Talon and Nick Robinson. Nick, welcome back. How are we doing, guys? Fantastic. I'm doing good. Fantastic. And you you said my name correctly, which I always I appreciate a host doing at the beginning of the show, not took a, to point took fingers a at practice, anybody. But... but it's really not that hard, honestly. No, um, not, anyways, not hard. Montreal... Uh, looked invisible again last night, but we'll get to that. Philip Gustafson led Ottawa to a, another win over the Calgary Flames. And Vancouver loses another close one to the Jets. That all happened last night. Um, Pat, we'll start with you. Yes. Montreal is having a bit of a bit of a hiccup in their regular Didn't notice them. What's, uh, what's going on? Weirdly enough, despite being so poorly, Jeff Petrie is still the front runner for the Norris. But anyway, uh, no, it's actually pretty cool that Montreal has yet to play, but what the Sens are doing is actually really helping Montreal. Uh, Montreal is getting better by not playing because the Sens, that was a huge win for the Sens and a huge win for the Habs to put the uh, put the Flames down there. So, um, And now Vancouver has, is like, what, two points back of Montreal, but Montreal has like seven games in hand, so... Huge win for I think everyone uh, has like seven games in hand on Vancouver, but yeah. Anyway, it's uh it's good for Montreal. I'm 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 kind of enjoying the week off, take a break from hockey a little bit and watch watch some other teams. Yeah, that's that's probably good for the mental health. But like you said, Pat, I think it's pretty crazy. I don't think anybody really saw the Ottawa Senators taking the Calgary Flames completely out of the playoff race. Um, I think the Senators are now five and two against the Flames. And when you compare that to some of their records against the other Canadian teams like Edmonton, who they are 0 and seven against. Yeah, you can see how that is affecting the standings right now. You know, Winnipeg, good record against Ottawa as well. They're right up there. And then Montreal, who is, you know, not great against Ottawa this year. And look where they are. And now they're sort of struggling to find their footing at times. So um, I think I said at the beginning of the season that I thought the Senators would have considerable sway on this division. You know, teams have to beat them. And some teams are struggling to do that. So it's it's funny how that's playing out right now. So... Nick, I want to ask you, uh, so we talked about this a bit the other day um, when you were not here, but on Monday night, I believe, Gustafson, 35 of 36 uh, saves, and last night, 28 of 29, if I have that correct. So Ottawa's goaltending has been, I mean, you, you think it's been a bit hectic in a bad way, but at the same time, it's been pretty decent uh, so i mean how, how do you feel as a sense fan uh how do you feel as a sense fan not in general but about the the goaltending situation specifically well yeah you know what it's it, it's nice for a change because they're starting to get some saves now and they really haven't done that all season matt murray was brought in to make saves he has struggled to do that marcus hogberg you know sort of thought at the beginning of the season he was going to give us more of the same maybe prove to be a solid backup goalie didn't do that either they brought Decord in, who unfortunately got hurt against Vancouver, but he looked solid. And now you're seeing Gustafson, who's playing well. And we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, like you said, coming off two really good performances. We'll see if he starts tonight, Thursday night, against Toronto um, on a back-to-back, and we'll see what that's like. But I think when you look now at what Decord and Gustafson has shown, you're sort of confident as a Senators fan that at least the net is in good shape going forward. Obviously now that's going to create maybe some issues down the road in the expansion draft and what the Senators plans there are. But at least for right now, it's, it's nice to have a bit of optimism when looking at the Senators net. And uh, yeah, I'd like to see Gustafson get some more starts down the road because through two games, he's really earned it. So Gustafson is Ottawa's fourth string. Is that fourth correct? String. Yep. Okay. So theoretically say, 
one like all four of them were healthy uh they play tonight who would you play I'd just keep riding the hot hand right now. I'd go Gustafson. Um, if I had to pick three guys to stay in the lineup right now, I like, obviously you got to keep Matt Murray around Hogberg. Look, I was cheering for that guy a lot at the beginning of this year, but he really hasn't shown me anything that gives me any sort of confidence that he's going to be a solid NHL goalie. So I'd probably, uh, you know, look to move on from him and then you, you keep decording Gustafson around. And uh, that, that's sort of what I'd go with right now. But I'd, I'd give the hand to the two younger guys right now because they, they've earned it. They've outplayed Murray um, and what he's done this season despite being so young in their NHL careers. Okay, so moving on to a topic that uh, you both certainly have vested interest in. I uh, don't really as a Canucks fan, but the uh, Hobie Baker Award, the 10 finalists have been announced patrick i'm going to throw this to you because yeah. uh, i feel like you uh you might have a few opinions on this with uh, cole caulfield yeah so uh i think he has to win it and this isn't i feel like as a even as a biased Habs fan you have to look at this from a non-biased standpoint and what he's done at that level to score the goals at the rate he did uh, 0.93 goals per game. Uh, he had a dry stretch at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the season, but he showed up in the big games. He got the game tying goal and then the uh, overtime winner against Minnesota. He's been like that game breaking goal scorer in, in the NCAA. Um, a lot of attention has been thrown to Dylan Holloway, uh, the Oilers pick, and then obviously Shane Pinto, the sense pick. And I think these are all good players. And I think the, there's nothing wrong with the finalists, uh, but I think this one kind of has to go to Cole Caulfield because what he's, in 30 games, he put up 28 goals, 21 points, or 21 assists, 50 points, or 49 points. Uh, that's just a couple goals shy of what Kyle Connor and Johnny Goudreau did in the NCAA. Um, so I think he has to win it. If I can t- touch on Pinto, I do like Shane Pinto. I think he'll be a good 2C. I like his his two-way play. Um, I'm not sure he has the pure finishing ability to make him like that high-end center that some people think, but I think a good two-way center is, is the ceiling for him. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm. it's exciting to finally see a, a star player at the minor level. And I haven't seen that as a Habs fan. And I, I can't even remember the last, I guess, Galchenyuk back in 2012, but then we all know what happened there. Yikes. So yeah, I'm happy for Cole Caulfield and I, I'm pretty confident he wins it. Uh, we're kind of seeing people on Twitter, especially Sen's Twitter, uh, people trying to jeopardize the fan vote. Uh, the fan vote makes up like 1% of that, but there are a lot of people who think that that's all of it. And um, yeah. We love Sense Twitter on here. Sense yeah. Twitter is quite Sense Twitter is fun. Sense Twitter is good. Some, there's always something going on in Sense Twitter. There's always something. As long as you're not I, I involved, personally think Sense Twitter is good. As, as I think it's funny. person myself. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I'll quickly touch on Pinto, but you know, 15 goals, 15 assists, 26 games. He's been a lot better than um, even a lot of Senators fans thought when they made the pick. That was sort of one that was looked upon as them whiffing at the time, but he's definitely been a lot better. And, you know, like you said, Pat, he's, he's a really good two-way player and um, dominant on the draw this year, which was a big standout for him. I yeah. think he was well over 60% on the draw yeah. this year, which is really good for him. You know, there's not that many metrics available at the college level, but no. that's certainly something that jumps off the page and, you know, uh, you know, very deserving of being in consideration for the Hobie Baker. And, you know, personally, as a Senators fan, I would, uh, I, w- I would give him the award, but you know, there's n- absolutely no bias there. Well, it doesn't matter because um, Vancouver will probably end up with the Hobie Baker winner eventually because that's just how hey, it they, works. They, they have one now. Adam got They have two. Two. They have two. Got and two. Yeah. Yes. Moving on, and we talked about 
this team just a week ago. I think it was a week ago on our two shows back from now. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, they were struggling then. And and it was it was kind of astounding to discuss, but it, it hasn't gotten any better. It's just gotten significantly worse. So they they played last night. So bad. 5-2 lost to Pittsburgh. I don't know. Up, update on on what's going on in Buffalo. Uh, Pat, I'll, I'll go to you first. I mean, we were, we were talking about it before. Taylor Hall, uh, do you think do you think he's much of a trade piece at all at this point? I think he is, and I think he should be, and I think teams should be jumping on it now more than ever. Look, when Taylor Hall signed, everyone was like, okay, that's, that's purely an inflate your totals signing, play with Jack Eichel, you know, fix your reputation as someone who a lot of people seem to seem to think is, is a, uh, a burden in the locker room and play with Jack Eichel, get 80 points, return to your New Jersey season where you won uh, the heart, all that stuff. And it was only a one-year deal at $8 million. He has not lived up to the hype. Obviously Jack Eichel was injured, but even when they were both together, but Hall has two goals, Eichel has two goals. It's not working. And I think because he struggled so much that Buffalo who, when he signed said, okay, well, if it doesn't work out, we can flip him at the deadline, probably get a first. I actually have a hard time seeing someone giving up a first uh, for Taylor Hall this year, given what he's done, unless a bunch of teams are in on him, Buffalo can say, you know what? The asking price has become higher, but right now, based on the player Taylor Hall is in Buffalo, I think you don't have to give up a first round pick. I think you can give up something else. And I think other teams have the leverage here. Taylor Hall, I doubt he's going to resign in Buffalo. I doubt he wants to continue playing with Jack Eichel. He's 29. He wants to win. And I think other teams should be giving up uh, not a first-round pick for him. And I think Buffalo eats some salary. And hopefully, you know, bigger picture, Buffalo can can get rid of the assets they have and recoup some picks. And then obviously keep, uh, keep Darlene and Eichel if they can. Yeah, and I think a lot of what you said there that was sort of echoed by Pierre Lebrun this morning, who I think came out with yeah. that original report that, you know, yeah. teams aren't exactly – willing to offer up first round picks for Taylor Hall right now. And it's hard to blame anybody with this market right now. And he's underperforming definitely hasn't scored as much as anybody thought he would in Buffalo along with Eichel. There's a lot of things contributing to that, but just with the Sabres in general, you look at their upcoming schedule, a couple more games against the Penguins, a couple against the Flyers, Boston's in there too. They, they haven't won in 15 games and it's hard to see them snapping this before it hits 20. Obviously, any result can happen on any night in the NHL, but it's hard to see when the pain and suffering, at least in the immediate future is going to end for Buffalo because man, it's it's getting hard to watch. And, you know, I haven't watched a lot of Buffalo games. haven't watched much of it because there's not much to watch at this point, but man, like I, there's no words left to say. And we, we went on a lot about this last week, but yeah, it's just, it's tough to watch. I watched a little bit of the game last night against Pittsburgh. So did I, it was it. It is something. It is not just a team going through a bad stretch. It is a team that looks like they don't even care anymore. Like not even a little bit. Uh, the end, Darlene just looked completely zoned out. Uh, they're not trying the entire time. And Pittsburgh's a good team, but you know there are games where where teams play against bad teams and it's somewhat close, or you know they put up a good fight. Ottawa is not a very good team, but Ottawa has played spoiler to a lot of teams and they've played well systematically. Um, they've looked engaged. I think Ottawa's having a fun season for the most part, knowing they're not going to be that that playoff team. You're getting none of that in Buffalo, not even a little bit, especially from the guys. Uh, Olafson scored last night, but look, two more years, he's an RFA. Does he does he resign there? I don't know. It, it's really rough. I feel bad for a guy like Dylan Cozens, who came in, had a pretty decent start to the season. Imagine your first season in the NHL, this is what you're getting, just 15-game losing streak. So it's tough. Um I think my biggest L would be picking Jack Eichel to win the heart 
that obviously can't come true, but yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say about Buffalo. I, yeah. I think so, just... so for better, or for worse, Buffalo got the national spotlight last night in Canada because of the uh, Montreal game being postponed. They were the national game on Sportsnet, and Elliot Friedman said, um, Darlene is probably the only untouchable on that yes. team. So th- those are a lot of big names that, that could be on the move. And I, I want to ask, like, like you said, Pat, and everyone knows Taylor Hall is a UFA at the end of this year, whether he finishes this year with the Sabres or elsewhere um, as a rental, what do you think his off season looks like uh, after the, assuming he doesn't pick it up this year after this dismal showing uh, in a contract year, what do you think he, he brings for himself this off season? Uh, Taylor Hall or the Sabres as a whole? Sorry. Taylor Hall. I think Taylor Hall gets dealt at the deadline. I think if you're Buffalo, you have to. What kind of I, contract do you think he gets this offseason? I think, honestly, I think that depends on his playoffs a little bit. And I think you could okay. honestly see him, I don't know, maybe. Look, so for his sake, he probably, he probably yeah, obviously he wants he, to get dealt. He, he yeah. wants to go. And I think for Buffalo's sake, they have to because you sign someone to approve it year, hoping that you can probably flip him for max value yeah. at the deadline. You're not going to get max value because he's been so underwhelming. I think a guy like Hall you maybe and if the cap's not going up which i don't think it is you could see him signing a deal similar to Tyler Toffoli or Evgeny Dadnov look at what these marquee free agents have been getting Dadnov got somewhat of a discount Hoffman was uh signed a P, uh, was on a PTO before signing his deal Toffoli got a super affordable deal and i think for Taylor Hall to ask the, ask for something big kind of like what Philip Deneau is doing in Montreal it's not going to happen because the cap isn't going up these guys who can score 20 30 40 goals are taking these discounts. And I think that's, what's going to happen with hall in the off season where that is. I don't know. Um, but I think big picture for Buffalo, you could see a guy like Sam Reinhardt getting moved in the off season. Uh, he's on a pretty affordable deal. Five point always oh, contracts up, but he's an RFA. Uh, You're a big like, Sam Reinhardt guy. I am a big Sam Reinhardt guy. I feel like no one talks about him. He's a consistent 50, 60 point guy. He's only, he's still what? 25. Um, you could see a guy like Curtis Lazar, maybe a team who, if he still has that, that offense left in him, but anyway, right. I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think that's, that's, what's going to happen with Taylor Hall. I think expecting a big paycheck, just, it's not going to happen. Nick, anything? No, nothing really more to add for me. Just uh, I, 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 he's not going to get paid and that's we're we're going to see a lot of that this summer, just more it, shift towards younger talent and less older guys getting paid. That's, that's something we've been discussing for a long time. And I think COVID and now some of the showings that some of these players are having like Hall in their, you know, late twenties, it, it doesn't bode well for the future of these guys when they hit that UFA age and getting big home run contracts, because, you know, very rarely now are we seeing hits on those like an Artemi Panarin. That's what everybody's expecting when they sign these big deals all the time. And it so very rarely happens. And I think Hall is just more evidence of that. So I don't expect him at all to get the big payday. And look back to what was it? Was it the 2016 year? Andrew Ladd, uh, Milan Lucic. These are Good. these are brutal deals. Alec Pozo. Kyle Pozo. Even more recently, the Jake, Hart, Jake Gardner contract is not looking that great for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, and I, yeah, so I, I would agree. Okay, so just now, um, thanks for the heads up, Pat. The uh, reported by the CBC. The Canadian federal government is poised to approve a seven-day quarantine with extra testing for NHL players traded from American to Canadian teams. This is coming 
three, two and a half weeks out from the NHL trade deadline, which is April 12th, bit of a bit of a better, you know, a a better signal to Canadian teams that are going to be looking to the other 24 teams in the league, 25, 24 teams in the league. Do you guys think this is going to have much of an effect on any decisions made by the seven Canadian general managers? Yeah, I think Toronto Maple Leafs fans are going to be jumping in the streets when they hear that and see that approved uh, based on some of the chatter surrounding their team and players that they're looking at, notably Ricard Raquel, Mikhail Granlund, whoever, uh, whatever links you believe. I also think Mark Bergevin is going to take particular interest in that, given, you know, a lot of the speculation about what he's going to do. So um, I, I would expect this definitely gives some more motivation to these Canadian teams to make deals. Um, ahead of the deadline. So I would expect some fairly soon. Yep, that's a game changer. And I like it. I think it's a good thing. Um, I think we all expect, we all watch the uh, trade deadline on TSN. I don't think we're going to have the same hype. Uh, It usually is. I think a lot of teams are going to try to get things done before. Uh, Montreal specifically, now they have a long break. They're not playing till Monday. If there's a time to make a move from an American team, that's the time to do it. I also can't see teams trading within their division unless it's to a team that's bottom last, sorry, Nick, like Ottawa to, to help them out or whatever. But uh, I think this is huge. And for all the Canadian teams, like I know the Leafs were interested in Naya follow Montreal apparently has interest in Grandland, uh, Winnipeg or not Grandland, uh, at home, Winnipeg also has interest in at home. I think, I think this is huge for, for the Canadian teams. Poor Duffy and the boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not good, but they, they make it fun. They, it, it's fun. It's kind of like when it's on, it's pretty fun. But when there's not a lot of news, seeing them try to fill it makes it entertaining, and I think they do a good job over there. Well, it's a it's a Monday, so we will be we will be recording. We will we can we can record right over three p.m. But we'll be back shortly, and we will get into the the Tim Peel NHL officiating situation, the news over the past forty eight hours. We'll be back right after this short break. Okay, on Tuesday night, the Nashville Predators and the Detroit Red Wings were playing a game in Nashville. Uh, Nashville won 2-0. And from an officiating standpoint, unfortunately, Tim Peel, a longtime NHL official, was caught on a hot mic, basically admitting to the fact that uh, NHL referees manage the game far more than anyone would hope they do. And he essentially said, I had to call, I had to make a call early on Nashville because dot, dot, dot. And it cuts off the next morning, early the next morning, the NHL releases a statement. And the, the important part is Tim Peel no longer will be working NHL games now or in the future. They didn't explicitly say he, he was, you know, quote unquote, relieved of his duties or anything. And he was going to retire, right? At the end of the he year. was going yes, so to retire. So that is important to note. He was going to retire in the next month or so. There's a lot coming out of this. And I'll say my two cents right off the bat. I think I think the NHL thought this punishment was going to be a lot uh, better received than it was. And I think they thought it was a lot heavier and uh, more of a proper punishment than it ended up being. I think NHL fans saw right through it, what, what was happening. He wasn't fired, I don't think. And I, I think all it was, they said, okay, you know what? We have to make a statement here. Uh, we're going to scapegoat you. We're just, you're done refereeing for the end of the year. And then you're going to retire. I don't, I 
and this is all speculation from my standpoint, I don't think it affects his pension or anything like that. The NHL thought the problem here was Tim Peel specifically, not officials game managing the league as a whole. That is the problem here. So I'll, there's a, there's a lot to go over here. A lot to unpack here. Yeah. We'll try to, we'll try to do this methodically. Uh, Nick, we'll start with you. Just your thoughts on the incident itself. Uh, We'll get to the punishment in a second, but when you first heard that video, were you surprised? What what were you thinking? Well, I, I think I speak for all three of us here. I, w- I wasn't surprised that that's a conversation that officials are having with each other or that's something that they're thinking. I think that's really been evident for a long, long time that this is how NHL officials call games. They call it to even things up. They have, you know, they live by terms like game management and stuff like that. Like who even knows what that is. They don't call things by the rule book. Again, we've had a lot of discussion about that. And uh, particularly some of the star players that have been hurt over the past couple of years. We talk about this endlessly, the problems with NHL officiating. So I wasn't surprised to hear it. Do I feel bad for Tim Peel? Yes. And no, because, you know, I don't feel bad for referees getting caught up in this because they're not doing what their job is, which is to call the game by the rules. But I do feel bad for him in the sense that he is essentially being uh, the scapegoat of this entire incident, because um, like you said, Luke, rather than, you know, promoting some sort of discussion about the integrity of the game as a whole, they're pretty much holding Tim Peel in front of everybody and saying, this is the problem. We've taken care of it. And that's sort of what the NHL statement reads to me, at least. Um, with regards to Tim Peel. And so I feel bad for him in that sense because he is not the problem. He is just a very small piece of one large problem. Patrick. Yep. This is the uh, tip of the iceberg. I'm not a fan of Tim Peel as a ref. Uh, Just, I, I, there've been plenty of games where he's made some extremely ridiculous calls, but I'm not going to make, you can't make Tim Peel the guy to blame. And he is the reason this problem exists. This is a much bigger problem. He just got caught saying it out loud. Um, Clearly all officials think this. And I saw a tweet from Justin Bourne and it says, he said, what's crazy about the Tim Peel thing is Matt Duchesne says he was talking to Philip Forsberg in that clip and said it to their bench. That's how comfortable refs seem seem to be with the game management being an accepted part of what they do. Um, This also speaks to, how how refs go about certain games some games they let a lot of things go some games they will call every single thing and i feel like this kind of sparked a bigger debate on twitter which is should refs just call every single penalty no matter what no matter the state of the game no matter the time of the game no matter who's playing or is there kind of a different rule book depending on the type of the game and that kind of became a bigger discussion but look i think evening out games is stupid i really do i think if if Vancouver's playing Ottawa and Ottawa takes 10 ridiculous penalties and they're spending most of the time on the, pen, on the penalty kill. That's their problem. And if Vancouver does nothing, but you have to have a makeup call to give them a chance, I don't think you need to do that. Whoever takes penalties should be responsible. Um, yeah. And it, it's just interesting. And I just think the NHL, you know, at first I saw it, I was like, Whoa, I've never seen the NHL take action like this. We we've this year, especially, I think has been one of the worst years for officiating in the Canadian division, in the North division, at least. And I'm not saying this as there have been plenty of missed calls against the Habs. I've watched Sens games. I've watched Leafs games. There are blatant cheap shots that are occurring 
every single team to a lot of different players at a level I haven't seen in a long time. And I'm not just saying this as a Habs fan. And whenever we think, okay, well, when's this officiating going to get better? When's this officiating going to get better? They finally let go of Tim Peel. I thought, oh, that's huge. But then immediately after, I was like, no, that's only the that's only the start of the problem. So, um, hoping there are some bigger changes coming, but I, I doubt it given the. So NHL. I think I think the NHL thought they got lucky here with this incident, a referee yeah. that was about to retire. Um, they figure, wow, okay, we've just caught this guy red-handed. Let's make an example out of him, and they. They don't fire him. They say he's not refereeing any more games until like now or in the future. It's the weirdest wording, but it's clear is the only way to get around the fact that they weren't firing him. Um, and I guess the the NHL just assumed that you know it would it would just fly with the fans. It absolutely did not. And Pat, you make a good point about um, should should referees call every single penalty regardless of. Uh, you know, the context of the game, or is there a middle ground? And I think, I think you have to understand that, that there kind of has to be a middle ground because if referees called every single penalty, regardless of the situation the game was in, fans would be irate, like absolutely furious because even fans understand you don't, you don't call a, a iffy tripping penalty in overtime in the playoffs. You just don't. So that's, and, and that's the other thing. There is a different rule book then. There is, there is, you know, yes. there is, I, Anthony Stewart said it last night in the first period or the third period, it's different in the regular season versus the playoffs. It's different. And fans understand that. So when, when I hear people saying you need to call everything exactly by the book, I just, I, I don't know if they understand what they're asking for. I, yeah. I don't think I'm saying call everything by the no, book. No, I know. I think I, you're, yeah, you're just bringing up that. Yeah. Just saying like, if a team is taking way too many reckless penalties, Montreal, for example, is notorious for this at the start of the year. They took way too many penalties. If Vancouver doesn't take any penalties, you shouldn't, I don't think you have to even it out at the same time. If there is a game that is physical from the get go and the refs set the tone early and the players set the tone and kind of roll back on some of the calls, put the whistles away. And then there's a soft slashing call that you call. Then I think that's an issue. And I feel like that's why, in theory, yes, everything should be called as is. If a penalty is a penalty, you call it no matter what. But at the same time, you don't want that when there's a tight game. If guys are getting elbowed in the head and there's all sorts of reckless plays going on, and you don't call that only to call a minor trip, then it's an issue. So let's – sorry, Nick, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I, well, I was going to say, I think to some degree, though, I, I'm not saying start tomorrow calling everything by the book and, and you know have some massive overcorrection, but I think it's something you need to – eventually do over the course starting with a fresh preseason you got to start calling everything like in my opinion at least how i see it call everything by the book how it is no matter what time of the game it is because i think when you do that and you start setting a tone for that as a league you're going to have correction in the way that teams play in the way that they deploy players in what situations how they're operating on the ice obviously i think that's you know that's a big thing to ask and to some degree, there's going to be a lot of overcorrection with that. Like you're going to have early on in a regular season, you're going to have games with a lot of penalties as teams learn to adjust even maybe a whole year with a lot more penalties than usual. But I think for the integrity of the game, which is what the NHL is preaching and to protect that, I think at some point you just have to start fresh, clean slate and just have that correction in the way that NHL hockey is played and sort of modify it so that it fits what the rules of the game are. That's how I see it. And 
that's a huge ask and maybe something that'll never happen in our lifetime. But if that's what they're really about protecting the integrity of the national hockey league, then that's something you got to look at doing. Okay. So Patrick, you just touched on it in, in talking about refs setting the tone and whether, whether it's setting the tone by calling, you know, calling two quick penalties right off the bat, you know, if there was a, a choppy game the other night and they try to kind of calm things down or it's what Tim Peel did the other night um, in terms of game management, where you, where you say, Oh, I, I need to do this because of this. And just kind of the, the overall idea of refs having maybe a bit too much control over the sway of the game. And uh, I mean, we've talked about it. It's been a thing for a long time. Um, as a Canucks fan, I can think back to Alex Burroughs uh, years ago, 2010, the 2009-2010 season. He called out a, an official for basically admitting to him what he was doing. He had the official said he he had to call Alex Burroughs for something that happened in a prior game uh, to even it out. And Alex Burroughs went off in the post-game scrum, just exposing the referee and saying it's incredibly unfair. Well, it was personal. It started in warm-up uh, and before the anthem. Like the ref came over me and he said I made him look back bad in Nashville on the Smiths in it. He said uh, he was gonna get me back tonight and uh, after he did his job in the third, I think, uh, got me on a diving call. I didn't think it was diving. Got me on an interference call that I didn't. I had no idea how he could call that and change the game. It's Burroughs was fined for that. Burroughs was fined for making those comments and basically exposing something that everyone kind of knows referees do. So. I, I want to ask you guys as um, not necessarily this year in particular, but referees managing the game, do you think, and we've talked about it, but do you think there is a, there's a spot for, for that concept of game management in today's NHL? Patrick. I do and I don't. And it's just so tricky because when I, when someone says, do you think that refs should even out the game? I want to say no because I don't think they should. And I feel like there's two types of evening out. There's evening out when you, when a team is taking all the penalties and a team doesn't have a power play all game and you want to give them a chance. And then there's evening out where you mess up a call and you see it all the time. Someone there's a, there's a trip that the ref calls. You see the replay. It wasn't actually a trip. He falls. And then just a couple minutes later, he'll call it another team. And as, as fans, we acknowledge, Oh, you know what? That was probably a makeup call. We deserve that given what happened before that happens all the time when you're watching hockey. And now that, we're talking about this issue. I'm realizing it more. There are plenty of calls where, you know, I watch hockey with my roommate and we say, we probably deserve a call here. You know, there's been 10 in their favor. Why don't we have anything yet? We probably deserve it. And then there's a weak call. Evening out. I want to say, no, the game should just happen as is, but it's tough. And I feel like sometimes having a call that goes to the other team's favor kind of makes sense. It's a, it's a hard, it's a tough, it's a gray area. It's a hard line to identify, uh, but I'll lean towards, no, there should not be any, any influence on the game. It should just be what happens on the ice is what happens on the ice. Yeah. I'll, I'll lean towards no as well, because I think at the end of the day, NHL referees are protected a lot more than referees in other sports, you know, um, an NBA official makes a bad call. It's, it's really hard to even up uh, calls in other sports like basketball or something like that. So a lot of those times the official bears that responsibility. That's part of their job. Just the same that a player can make mistake, make a mistake that costs their team points or a game or a goal against 
officials also have that, you know, responsibility to try their best to call things the way they are and not affect the game as a whole. So I think you you sort of got to remove that protection aspect for referees, you know, make them, if they have a bad call and it affects the outcome of a game, you know, very rarely does that happen, but they got to bear that responsibility. And that's just part of the human nature of their job. And while that's a hard concept to get behind sometimes and it sucks, that's, that's professional sports. That's the human part of it. So, which is why I would pretty much lean towards, no, you got to get rid of game management. You just got to call things the way they happen. Okay. So looking into the future and, you know, one more question here as we wrap up in terms of precedent, uh, there's going to be a lot of discussion as this season plays out and probably in next year as well in, in regards to how this, how the release of Tim Peel is going to affect NHL officiating just last night, there was a late call against Calgary as they were down in the third period. That's, that's the kind of call. Maybe you don't see all the time a team losing late in the third, they get a penalty against basically eliminating their chance at coming back. Uh, do you guys, do you guys think there's going to be a change not from the NHL level, but just from an, uh, the referees level and how they officiate games from here until, until the end of this season, at least. I, I think so to a degree, because I think they're sort of realizing now their jobs may be on the line. I think that's definitely a conversation referees are having. I don't think you're going to see anything drastic, but that's just human nature. Something happens to a coworker, you're going to naturally react and maybe change a bit how you operate on a day-to-day basis. And I think you're going to see that a bit with referees. They're just going to, you know, look at calling things a bit more by the rules or they're just going to at least try to protect themselves. They're going to be a lot more cautious of a hot mic. I'll tell you that much, but um, just in terms of their job, I think they're going to be a little bit more protective. Well, that's a good point. Cause they, they did wear their mics yesterday. Um, there was discussion, would they wear mics after this happened? And they did. So that, uh, I don't think there's going to be a big change. Honestly, I think there could be a little one seeing and how things are called, like Nick said, call things more close to the rule book. But I think this is only being talked about because Tim Peel was caught. Obviously this was never talked about before the national hockey league never talked about it before at any, any level uh, fans, I think kind of grew to accept it this year, especially where officiating has been brutal uh, goalie interference, especially uh, continues to be the most inconsistent. No one knows what it is. And I can think to the, the Habs sends game a couple weeks ago, Nick, where Gallagher and Murray got up and then 10 seconds later, they called it goalie interference. I can think of 20 other goalie interference examples. Anyway, the NHL never really made this a public discussion until someone got caught. I think things are mostly going to stay the same. And no matter what changes in officiating, people are going to link it back always to Tim Peel when sometimes it's probably just regular officiating. So if there's a change, it'll be slight, but I'm not expecting anything too big. Well, this certainly will not be the last we hear of this, and hopefully it starts, you know, moving in the right direction in in a, in a general sense. But that will do it for us today. We will be back on uh, Monday, and we said it at the end of last show, and we'll say it again, Montreal actually won't have played a game by then. So a lot more Sens and Canucks talk. We will see, but we want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.